This is Canvas, a show all about iPad productivity. My name is Fraser Spears and Federico Vitici is back from WWDC. How are you doing, sir? Hello, Fraser. It's good to be back. I'm doing great. Uh, I'm still not working on my iOS review, which is why mm-hmm. I sound so relaxed. <laughs> because I'm not <laughs> writing. Uh, so that's good. that's why everything is good so far. <laughs> and recovering from the jet lag? Oh, that took me about a week. Uh, it was kind of rough. I couldn't go yeah. to sleep until 5 a.m. for about five days, uh, which was interesting. That is... Uh, <laughs> That is quite a long time, yeah. yeah. I don't understand jet lag. I mean, I understand it, but I don't understand why people have different feelings about it. You know, I always find it worse when I go to the States, and other people seem to find it worse when they come back, and I don't understand why that's different. Yeah, this time yeah. it got me both ways. So when yeah. I got to the States, I felt jet lagged for a couple of days. When I came back home, I was also jet lagged. So it's like, <laughs> I don't know, it's jet lag everywhere. Uh, people You're- told me on Twitter were so nice to point out on Twitter that because I'm turning 30, uh, the more I, as I get older, jet lag gets worse. <laughs> and I was like, thank you. Thank you so much, person on Twitter, for reminding yeah. me of the passing of Stick time. Stick that right in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so uh, we're here to talk about iOS 12 and not just uh, as a recap of the announcements from the conference, but actually first impressions, as we mm-hmm. assume we both had the time to test iOS 12 and put it on our devices. Yeah, I'm I'm only running it on my phone at the moment. Uh, I've I've kept my iPad with iOS 11 because uh, in school we use Apple Classroom, and sometimes having different versions, like beta versions of Apple Classroom, tend not to mm-hmm. uh, always interrupt all that well with existing versions. So I, I've decided just to keep the iPad on 11 until the end of term, which is next week, thankfully, and I'll have a look at that when during the summer. Hmm. Um, I put it on my phone. Uh, as I was traveling back from the United States and so many people were saying, that's a terrible idea, don't do it, you're going to lose your phone and your boarding pass and all your documents. I was like, eh, I kind of want to risk it this time and it was totally fine. Then when I came yeah. back home, I put it on my iPad Pro so my two main devices are on 12. And okay. I wanted to quickly point out uh, this thing about stability and performance. Of course, it's a beta, and mm. I wouldn't recommend to people to put it on your primary iPhone, at least if you really want to try it, uh, get the public beta, which I assume is going to be released toward the end of the month, maybe next week, maybe the week after, I don't know. Um, still, iOS 12, so far, for me, is better than 11 in terms of <laughs> performance and speed. And yes, there's a couple of crashes. Uh, I got a couple of springboard crashes. But overall, like the battery life, mm-hmm. the the how quickly apps open, how quickly I can get to the camera and to take a picture from the lock screen. And even the when, when I'm in photos and I want to share a photo with, with the share sheet, the share sheet is so fast in iOS 12. Like, it loads almost instantly. And so, yes, there's some glitches and some bugs, but overall, um, I think if this is beta 2 and it already feels better than iOS 11 for me, I think this is going to be a pretty sweet release in terms of um, uh, performance and speed and fixes uh, come September. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, seen, I've seen exactly the same just on the phone, that uh, very little compatibility issues with third-party apps as well. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of weird scrolling in the Gmail app was one thing I saw, and, and Skype was a bit broken, I think, in the first beta. I haven't tried it again on, on uh, developer beta 2, but beyond that, you know, 
all kinds of things are working. You know, AirPods are working well, other Bluetooth devices. Uh, I got a new car with CarPlay in it this week for the first time, and even that's working really well as well. Nice. uh, We we can now do a show on CarPlay because at least one of us has got a CarPlay car. Um, It's a Nissan Micra. It's not very exciting, but um, it does have good CarPlay, and that was pretty much my number one thing for for buying a car. So, yeah, even this is my first CarPlay experience, and it's on iOS 12 as well. So it it seems to be in general... pretty good with all, even sort of obscure things like that yeah yeah i also had, didn't have many issues with third-party apps there's a um probably some bugs in ulysses which i've noticed because i you know i've mm-hmm. read in ulysses uh but i think overall i can i sort of I can see why Apple made a big deal out of performance and stability as the very first um, slide of the iOS 12 segment because you can yeah. you can see the differences. And uh, again, this is the second beta. Um, usually, when it when it's around beta five, six, and then GM, things have been pretty much finalized. Um, so mm-hmm. we're still in in the in the rough. Uh, you know, uh, stage in terms of beta stability, but it's already quite good. And I traveled from the US to Italy, and it was totally fine. You know, all the the, the wallet features, Apple Pay. I was afraid that I mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to pay for the tube in London with Apple Pay, but it was totally okay. So um, I, I always have this fantasy with iOS betas that there's going to be an Apple Play bug where you can pay for stuff and not be charged. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Wouldn't I'm sure awesome? they, they test that very carefully, but. Uh, uh, I always think it's worth trying the beta. You might get a free McDonald's out of it at some point. Um, so we have quite a yeah. lot to talk about here. Um, we do. I want to get into shortcuts and I want to talk about all the other features in iOS 11, especially screen time. But before we do that, mm-hmm. I think we should thank our first sponsor this week. We should definitely get into that. This episode of Canvas is brought to you by Sanebox, and I bet every person listening to the show has something they don't like about email, and that's why you need to try Sanebox. While it would be lovely, it's just not practical to delete all of your email. There's undoubtedly important stuff in there that you have to deal with, but one of the big problems is that all email looks the same. At a glance, it can be difficult to try and decipher which messages need your attention, and wouldn't it be nice if all your mail could be pre-sorted before it even hits your inbox? Well, this is what Sanebox is all about. Sanebox sorts through your email and moves all the trivial stuff to different folders, so the only messages in your inbox are the ones that you need. And the great thing is it will work seamlessly with your current system and with any mail app you want to use. One of the best features of Sanebox is called the black hole. All you need to do is move an unwanted email into that folder and you'll never hear from that sender ever again. With Sanebox, you can set up email reminders, snooze your email, and so much more. And Federico, I bet you were uh, wishing you had the black hole feature for all the GDPR emails that we've had over mm. the past couple of months. Uh, has any other email been sent this year? I don't know. It's uh, It's been rough uh, in terms of getting all these updates from all these <laughs> services. Saying that the privacy policy was updated. Uh, thank you, random web service that I never signed up for. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, same box. You know, I've, I've been... Uh, singing the praise of Sanebox for a couple of years now and I, I just couldn't imagine using anything else and I, I noticed this week as I was um, once again on a beta of iOS and I'm testing Apple's apps of course because I need to see what's new in them 
And mm-hmm. when I set up Apple Mail again, so I've been using Spark for the past couple of months, and I switched to Apple Mail to see what's going on in, in iOS 12. Not much, spoiler alert, uh, not much is going on. <laughs> Still, all my Samebox folders were there, and they had the same messages that I could see in, in any other client. And that means that my same later folder was there, my same news, my same black hole was working as always. So there's a, I see this beauty in having the system that works in the cloud, but it, t- it connects to your email account. And no matter the email client that you choose, uh, Samebox keeps working because it's it's something else that lives on a, on a web service and it does the job for you. So I every week Samebox sends me a reminder of how much time I saved and it's usually like every week I save like 15 or 20 hours or something like that and I totally believe that because uh, the management that it does for me is just amazing so I'm a really happy customer and I recommend it to anyone especially if you're like me and you like to switch between email so we have got a special deal for people listening to the show Go to sanebox.com slash canvas today for a two-week free trial and an extra $20 credit just because you listen to the show. You don't have to enter your credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's really nothing to lose. Check it out today and get your email finally under control. Again, that's sanebox.com, S-A-N-E-B-O-X.com slash canvas. So Federico, the biggest, the biggest, the most canvassy thing at the whole of WWDC, I'm sure, was the, the... I don't want to say the resurrection of workflow, but certainly the the rebranding of workflow mm. as shortcuts yeah. uh, in iOS 12, which is not only just my understanding is it's, the, the app lives on the the workflow app lives on if you like, but will be renamed shortcuts. But then shortcuts have also been embedded in lots of different parts of iOS as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's two parts uh, to this system. Um, there's a story that I wrote on on Mac Stories a few weeks ago that sort of gives you an outline of this. But essentially, um, there's shortcuts the system feature and shortcuts the app. So shortcuts the app will be the successor to Workflow. It'll be on the App Store. It's not clear if Apple will do a beta uh, or a test flight like they did for Playgrounds, for example, this summer. Mm-hmm. But I hope that they will. Um, so that's the app, and we can talk about that in a few in a few minutes. But as long as the system stuff is concerned, a shortcut is um, a way to reopen an, an an application on your iOS device to see something like a specific piece of content or do something. Um, these sh- simple shortcuts are based on two existing APIs. Uh, one of them is the user activity API, which is the same one that is that allows developers to build features such as handoff uh, between iOS and macOS okay. or spotlight search results. Those are based on NS user activity, which is a way to for for developers to sort of tag um, specific screens or activities in their apps, like uh, a restaurant page in Yelp, for example, or a draft yeah. in Drafts 5. Um, and the other API that Apple is using is SiriKit, which is the existing Siri integration for third-party developers. So it the shortcuts are basically a rebranded version of these two technologies presented in a more intuitive way, such as you can... You can see shortcuts suggested by the system um, on the lock screen or in the spotlight search results page when you pull down on your home screen. Um, Or you can go into settings uh, under the Siri page and you will see all the shortcuts that the system knows are available to you. And in addition to that, you can also create custom phrases. 
to launch these shortcuts. Um, so you go into the settings page or developers can also embed what, this feature in their apps and it brings up a Siri UI that allows you to basically record a sentence, a phrase to launch these shortcuts. And these are the basic shortcuts. Again, uh, it's a way to let you open apps or features of apps uh, more quickly and with a custom Siri command. Um, so for example, uh, right now, um, because this the system is kind of already working in iOS 12, even though third-party mm -hmm. apps haven't been updated for iOS 12, I set up yeah. some shortcuts. Uh, for example, I have one that says, show me the review, and it opens Dropbox for my iOS 12 review.md text file uh, for okay. what, what will eventually become my iOS review. Um, so I think this is quite convenient, and... I'm curious to see, I mean, of course, the, this aspect of shortcuts is the is the first half. And it's the, I think my impression is that yeah. this is what Apple is presenting to the to average users, to regular users who don't want to put together complex workflows. They're saying, here's a simple way to use shortcuts. Uh, and I think it'll be interesting yeah. to see how people react to this. Yeah, I think it's a clever idea to sort of, they're almost using like serious suggestions to surface things that you do that could be a shortcut and and that's because that was always one of the things that you know when we did the workflow series people would sort of tweet at us and say you know i had a, a guy tweeted me i think today saying i finally found a, a way to use workflow and, and it was like a year after we had i had posted something about using workflow in that way um and it's, it's always been hard to get people into using workflow and i think that uh, these these shortcuts that come up in the lock screen and the series suggestions, it's things like, you know, send a message here or uh, launch this application and, and it, it'll pick, you know, individual people. So I found it to be very clever about about when I do the things that it suggests that I do, you know. So sometimes it'll, it'll be like, you know, send a message to this person and it's somebody I text most evenings, for example, or uh, launch this application or find this person on Find My Friends or whatever it is. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff with with the NS User Activity API that just sort of come for free. And Apple just seems to be gathering that all up and, and making it available as suggestions to people. And, and that seems to be the, it's clearly, the, as you said, it's the first half of the of the whole mm -hmm. story, but I think it's, uh, it's going to be the way to get people in. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how how far people take that, I suppose. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think, uh, you know, especially for folks who don't want to download the Shortcuts app and don't understand the, why there's a benefit to creating these uh, chains of actions and workflows, uh, just presenting a shortcut, which, by the way, I think it's a, such a better name than workflows. Uh, shortcuts yeah. gets to the point, everybody likes shortcuts because it makes you save time. It's a shortcut. Whereas a workflow feels like a businessy enterprise type of thing almost. Uh, so it, it's a better name and this first half is probably a better system than just saying go to the shortcuts app and and create a workflow that said shortcuts is the new version of workflow um i've been talking to some people uh uh and and i'm pretty confident that the apple's goal is to keep full compatibility with existing workflows uh i'm not sure how the system will handle the migration from workflow to shortcuts uh if shortcuts will be an update to the workflow app on the app store if it'll be a separate app and there will be some way to move over your old workflows uh, but still my interpretation of what is going on is that you will be able to use all your workflows and you if you take a look at the screenshots um, 
and the videos that Apple showed at the keynote and the sessions shortcuts, you can see all the features that made Workflow, you know, one of my favorite apps on iOS. You can see magic variables. You can see scripting actions. Uh, you can see, uh, you know, different ways to uh, to set input and output for actions. You can see the widget. You can see that you will be able to uh, set custom settings for individual workflows. Um, so it'll be the new version of Workflow. And I also, uh, you know, in talking to developers, it seems that Apple will keep the existing uh, third-party actions based on URL schemes, stuff like xCallback, for example, that will stay. But my wish is that Apple is working on a native API for um, interrupt communication with shortcuts, uh, which is not coming this year. Um, so a better way to communicate with Ulysses or with drafts, for example, um, it's something that the shortcuts team, I believe, is working on as the next one of the next step steps for the app. Um, but this year, there there will be some native third-party app actions in in shortcuts, and those will be the system shortcuts that you set up on your iPhone or iPad. Okay. So all the basic shortcuts that you see in Spotlight or in Settings, those little you know the small app actions, they can be used as steps in the shortcuts app so when you create a custom shortcut and by the way custom shortcut appears to be the new name for a workflow that you create apple calls them custom shortcuts um okay so when you create a custom shortcut you can import all of the siri uh suggestions so stuff like ordering uh, ordering a coffee at starbucks or uh checking out your reservation in i don't know in a hotel reservation app um those actions can be used in a in in a custom shortcut but they will not be customizable so they will not support custom inputs or custom outputs they will not have um user configurable parameters um, um, which is also one of the one of the things that I believe Apple is working on for next year, maybe to have SiriKit uh, uh, and actions be customizable by the user. Um, mm. So okay. yeah, the, the the more advanced automation stuff, I believe uh, at a native level, I believe will will come in a version two or something of shortcuts. Uh, but right now, what we have is the new workflow with some native app actions. And of course, the big feature is the full Siri integration. And this is, a, I believe this is a big deal because you will be able to run a custom shortcut, so a workflow within Siri in the background without having to open the shortcuts app. Um, Interesting. That's, yeah. that's powerful because it means that unless the shortcut has some user interaction required, like, choosing from a list or typing things with the keyboard. If a shortcut is just a series of actions that, I don't know, talk to an API on the web or something, um, stuff that doesn't require your um, input, they will just run in the background and you will even have the option to say, I want to see a confirmation step in Siri, or I don't, just run in the background. And you can actually see Apple doing this on stage uh, in the, at the keynote. Um, one of their custom shortcuts that they showed off, it just, it just ran in the, in the background, showing confirm, um, little uh, previews in Siri. So the idea would be that, uh, for example, all my toggle timer APIs for time tracking. Yeah, of um, course, yeah. That stuff will, if I could, I should be able to just assign a custom phrase with Siri and those workflows 
will just run without having to open the shortcuts app at all. Siri will just say, okay, I started your timer or something like that. And you will Sounds even great. be able to set a custom response for Siri in the shortcuts app. I was just about to ask that. Can, can you put yeah. something in there to see, you know, confirm yeah. or deny sort of thing? Yeah. There's a, there's, a new, uh, there's a new action that is called show result. And it allows you to put together your uh, custom response for Siri. Um, I don't know if you will be able to say, to have Siri ask you yes or no or continue or cancel uh, in a mm -hmm. in a sort of in a programmat programmatic way. Um, because again, I think also user interaction is one of the next features that they're working on. Um, right now, it's just audio stuff, essentially stuff that can run in an audio environment without requiring the user to interact. So if you're trying to run a shortcut that has choose from list or ask for input, you would, you would probably think, well, Siri should ask me to pick an item from a list or should ask me to dictate some text. But my understanding is that this will not be possible in the first version of Shortcuts. But my feeling, uh, personal feeling, is that they are very much aware of this. Well, you, you, you sort of know that Siri already kind of can do that because if you, for example, ask it to find you a pizza place, yeah, exactly. it will say, eh, I've got a list of 10 things. Would you like me to read them all out to you? And and, it, and it'll ask you, you know, to choose from a list of things. And yep. There is a, a, a voice-based way to do that. And then obviously there's, uh, you know, when you say, you know, text Joe or whatever, um, it then says, what do you want to say to that person? And it waits for you to dictate actual text as exactly. well. So you, you can imagine that could actually come quite easily for free in, exactly. in some ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I, I, again, I don't know if it'll be in the first version. If it's not, uh, like you said, it's stuff that Siri can already do. So uh, it should yeah. be relatively easy for shortcuts to have the same features. Um, I'm excited about this, especially about the idea of having these uh, complex shortcuts, these custom shortcuts that can run in different contexts. So for example, I can run a shortcut in the action extension. I can run a shortcut from the widget. I can run a shortcut in the shortcuts app, or I can run it on my HomePod, or I can run it on the Siri mm. watch face on my watch, or mm -hmm. I can run it via CarPlay. <laughs> well, you mm. can, I cannot, <laughs> but you <laughs> will be able to. Um, so the idea yeah. of it's the same shortcuts, it's the, it's the same shortcut, but it adapts to whatever device you're using to run it. And that is fascinating as, a, as, a, as an approach to user automation. Yeah, that is interesting. And, and you can imagine, just as we've just been talking about, the different ways in which you could be asked to choose from a list, for example. There's a voice way to do that. And there's a, a, an interaction way to do that and so on. Federico, I think the other thing that's probably worth talking about with shortcuts is um, it seemed to me from watching the keynote, and I haven't watched any specific shortcut sessions, but there also seems to be a way for developers to bundle essentially a workflow script, as we would have called it, into their app and make that available. Is that Did I understand that correctly? Like so apps can offer a shortcut that you can then use later on? So what, what they can do, um, developers can offer... Uh, one of the uh, basic shortcuts, the, the, the one of the Siri shortcuts, um, and they can embed a button that allows you to record a custom phrase inside a, a third-party app without having to open settings. Um, so okay. they can show you a button that says add to Siri and they can provide a shortcut that you will uh, record a custom phrase for and you will be able to bring up anywhere on, on your system. Um, so that would allow, for example, um, 
I don't know if Greg Pierce, for instance, um, adds Siri buttons to drafts, you may be able to, I don't know, view a specific note just by uh, having a custom shortcut, uh, having okay. a Siri shortcut set up. And you, you could record, for example, a phrase that says, show me my shopping list, and it'll bring up the contents of a note from drafts. So that they can do that kind of stuff. They cannot embed more complex series of actions. It's just okay. individual shortcuts. And the user yep. always has to record the custom phrase Developers cannot just say, here's uh, 10 phrases that we set up for you. No, the user has to set uh, individual shortcuts yeah. uh, up manually every time. That kind of makes sense because, you know, yeah. even with the Siri intents that we've had for the last couple of years, that was starting to get a bit unwieldy and we didn't really have even very much stuff that you could do with that, you know. Uh, but, you know, trying to get the right a pronunciation of a, of a to-do app or something like that is was already getting difficult, you know, and, and when there's going to be a much broader search space, it's going to have to be, you know, user-specific phrases to make that even close to reliable, I think. Yeah, it, uh, it's sort of like creating your um, y your own language, like your own yeah. expressions mm -hmm. and, and th uh, ways to, to say different things. Like with an actual assistant, you have your little jargon, your little ways of mm -hmm. communicating with each other and this is kind of the idea that your Siri will be unique to you because it's got all these custom phrases that work just for you not for me because yeah. we all have different series in, in that way um, so it strikes me Federico that like a, a voice interface is a bit like a, a Unix command line you know, you have to know what you can say before mm. you say it, unlike a graphical user interface. And this seems to be the the vo the voice equivalent of like writing shell scripts to customize the commands that you give, you know, or, or making your own commands or something like that. This kind of thing that, you know, Unix users would do and, and, and build up their own library of shortcuts and things for typing. This is that for voice, isn't it? Yeah, there's no like with the, with the with the graphical user interface, you can sort of click around and and tap and see what happens. With voice, you cannot just say, "Hey, what's up?" You know, you cannot. All these yeah. assistant, th these assistants, they don't have a way to have an actual conversation. They just follow orders essentially. Uh, it's not mm -hmm. like you you have the freedom to have a conversation and and be like, "Oh, by the way, what's 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 up today? What's going on today? What should I do? Or what can you do for? Or what can you do for me?" Uh, they're not. Um, they not. They don't offer that kind of freedom. Um, but I don't know. Maybe the ability to have your own custom phrases will help, um, because maybe it's more likely that you remember those phrases. Uh, but then again, it's kind of like um, keyboard shortcuts. Um, the, the, it's it's something that you need to remember. You need to keep in mind. Um, I don't know. I don't know if, like, honestly, right now, I don't know if uh, normal people will um, care about this stuff or not. Um, I think, of course, you know, we as users that have been following Workflow for a long time, I'm stoked to see what they're doing now. Um, then again, it remains to be seen if the, whether this is an actual... Um, strategy uh, for automation or if this is a way to compensate for what Siri is lacking. 
um, sort of as a way to say, well, we're behind the Google Assistant and the Amazon stuff, so why don't we sort of fake our way around progress by letting users do the work yeah. for us? <laughs> I, I, know, I know what you mean, because if you think about it, there's not, apart from pulling down the search field and, and seeing three possible suggestions, why why would Siri be the the front interface into this? You know, apart from to buttress Siri in some ways, you know, wh- why is there no, you know, there's no uh, obvious huge menu of these shortcuts. You know, you can't just pull down. Imagine if you could pull down notification center and instead of notifications, it was just all your shortcuts. You know, that that's the kind of thing where I think, well, you know, hmm, you know, is, is this really a, an interface option or is it just a way to kind of add things to Siri? Uh, in a way that might be reliable you know time will tell you know yeah and i think it really depends a lot on how the ecosystem fills out yeah uh, and and do people really dive into it but i think you know it, they've got to try and Siri at the moment don't they you know it's it's clearly not up to par with the other voice assistants so it's uh it's an interesting way to get it more more used by more people perhaps yeah yeah i think so uh at least yeah. if apple you know they they hired that previous Google um, director of AI, you know, is working on Siri. Mm-hmm. So maybe they need another year to sort of flesh out what's next for yeah. Siri in terms of actual intelligence and communication with users. Um, so I can see how, like, for the next year, this is sort of a stopgap solution to to mm-hmm. have you know to have this kind of message of now you can have your own custom shortcuts for Siri and you can you can personalize Siri. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We gotta I think see. What it might, what it might do is it might help with there's a, say you've got a command that you want to do. You do in Siri a lot, and it constantly gets it wrong. Mm. This might be a way for you to, you know, help it to constantly get it right. You know, yeah. if you had say you've got somebody you message and Siri always mishears your pronunciation of their name, you could record your own shortcut for that and and increase the reliability of it. And maybe uh, that alone is, is reason enough to do this. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cool. Well, Federico, let's talk about our second sponsor and then we can get into all the different little bits and pieces that are interesting in iOS 12 as well. All right. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom. If your website was down right now, if visitors couldn't access your content or couldn't click that all-important buy now button, how would you know? You wouldn't until it was too late. And that's why you need Pingdom. They give you the peace of mind you need. Pingdom will let you know the moment your site goes down in whatever way is best for you. They're dedicated to making the web faster and more reliable. If you're a Pingdom user, monitoring the availability and performance of your server, database, or website will be a breeze. They use more than 70 global test servers that emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as every minute. Start monitoring your site today. All your Pingdom needs is the URL, and they take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash reallyfm right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then, when you sign up, use the code CANVAS at checkout to get a massive 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and Really FM. So, Federico, screen time, the mm. thing that uh, mm. uh, teachers usually have an opinion about in some way. Uh, <laughs> mm. <laughs> yes. What can I say about that? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not a big... Uh, screen time control advocate, uh, mm. particularly, uh, it's a tricky one, I think, as a computer science teacher, because um, everybody wants their kids to code, and everybody wants their kids to code while only being on the computer for 30 minutes a day. And I'm like, you can't have those both of those things, you know, if you want to be a programmer, you need to spend quite a lot of time on the computer, so decide what you want. Um, but anyway, Apple is uh, helping us decide for us, 
Uh, and obviously uh, screen time got a lot of uh, keynote time in talking about uh, this whole kind of rubric of uh, Google called it digital well-being. I don't think Apple kind of gave it a name like that, but the whole sort of rubric of digital health or digital well-being is is obviously on everybody's agenda right now. So uh, what do we get in iOS 12? So um, yeah, it's one of the uh, one of the themes of 2018 so far is that all these companies are now thinking about uh, smartphone addiction and how much time we spend on our on social networks. Um, everybody's very aware of this problem now. Um, and it's arguable whether you know Google and Apple actually believe in this stuff, or if they're just following a trend uh, to prevent. I mean, it's, it's debatable whether this is actually real. You know, to be quite honest with you, there was an article just today, I think, which said that uh, screen time is not actually harmful to children. So it's yeah. one of these things where it's kind of like, well, yeah. you know, how bad is it? But let's put some features in just so people stop complaining about it and yeah. go yeah. from there. So yeah. anyway, I, I I think I see it as um as a sort of a personal time tracking uh, because I mm-hmm. like to see these numbers about how much time I'm spending on Twitter. And I can see how I m- may be spending too much time scrolling my timeline in TweetBot. Like, it's something that I'm <laughs> deeply aware of. And I know that because every time I'm like, oh, I'm so behind on Twitter. And then when I catch up with my timeline, I'm like, well, that was useless. <laughs> and I just wasted like 45 minutes catching up on tweets just because I'm addicted to it. I've been doing it for like the past eight years. Um, and so screen time may help in that regard. Um, so you can go in settings and you can set up screen time, which is off by default. You need to opt in if you want to enable the feature. And uh in broad strokes, what screen time is, it monitors uh, the apps that you use on your device. It aggregates data across all of your devices. So if you have TweetBot on your phone and TweetBot on your iPad, uh, the general stats will count as one, one instance of TweetBot. Um, but you can also filter the the statistics page and the charts by individual devices. Uh, otherwise, everything syncs with iCloud and you see a main dashboard with how much time you spent using specific apps or using categories of apps. So you can see TweetBot or you can see so- social networking in general, which may also include numbers for Facebook or Instagram. Um, you can see that and you can also see other useful uh, uh, information about your your iOS habits. Uh, you can see, for example, how much, how many times you picked up your device during the day. Uh, you can see how many notifications you received. Uh, you can see um, there's a there's a chart that shows you when during the day you tend to pick up your device and when you tend to receive the most notifications. Um, then you can you can dig into these uh, individual apps and you can see daily averages, for example, uh, for individual apps, um, what category they belong to, and it's all really polished and really well done. And you can you know the more you use screen time, uh, the more you you can see stats for today, of course, but also stats for the past seven days or past ten days. So it, it builds up this archive of your of your habits, and every week you get a notification. I think on Sunday um, that shows you the weekly report of uh, what you've done with your device, uh, with your devices on any given week. Um, what you can also do, so this is the, the basic view of screen time, and in the same page, uh, in the second section, uh, you will see other features. So one, um, two of them, I believe, at least one of them, the restrictions, um, I think it's for 
families. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's also for personal usage. I'm not sure. Uh, but there's a whole family sharing aspect that I want to ask you about in a few minutes. What you can do is you can set downtime. So downtime is scheduled time that you want to spend away from your devices. And you can say, I want to enable this sort of like do night shift or do not disturb. It's um, like do not disturb for apps, isn't it? It's do not disturb yeah. for apps. So you can see, yeah. uh, you can say, I want to, uh, I want my downtime from 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. And the only apps that I'm allowed to use are phone and messages, stuff like that. Um, the interesting part for me is app limits. So app limits is a way to set time limits for individual applications or entire categories of apps. Uh, right now, I have a social networking limit of uh, one hour and 45 minutes. Um, so just a little under two hours every day. And it's been an interesting experience so far. Uh, because Are you hitting that limit? Yeah, once so far. Um, okay. And five minutes before I was hitting the limit a few days ago, uh, I got a notification that said, you have five minutes left for social networking. <laughs> so I was like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta catch up on, on all the tweets that I'm not gonna <laughs> be able to see for a while. And then the limit uh, triggered and the all my social apps got um, like a dimmed icon on the home screen with a with a little uh, hourglass icon next to their name, and as I whenever I tried to open one, I got this full screen view that said uh, you've reached your limit. Um, it's easy to override. There's a button at the bottom that says ignore limit. And I kind of wish that it was harder, that, I don't know, it required my girlfriend's face ID or something, like <laughs> like a two-step system that makes the, the, well, me there, feel There's bad. a code that you can set, isn't there? There's uh, there's a, pr I mean, if I know the code, is it, yeah. really, is it really hard to... Well, you need, you, need, you need to get hard to set the code. That's the... Mm, maybe that. I just, yeah. uh, you know, especially for, for things that are bad for me, like wasting time on Facebook is bad for me. Uh, so yeah. I wish it was kind of not that easy to override. Still, um, I set it up last week. Uh, so I'm still new to all these numbers and stats and the, the, the feature kind of reset with beta 2. So I started over again. Um, it's not working great so far. Like it's slow to sync data between devices. Uh, for example, the other day, my iPad was stuck with a, with a limit that I hit the day before on my phone, but iCloud was uh, not syncing yeah. the limit. So I couldn't use Tweetbot for like two days. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think it will be, I think it will be pretty great for me eventually because I, I I love these stats and I love to know how I spend my time and if I will be able to make adjustments. Um, stuff like, I don't know, maybe enabling do not disturb for certain iMessage threads or reducing the the amount of notifications that I get from Slack. I think that will be good eventually. I, I think, I mean, I'm interested in the numbers as well and I've, I've been watching the numbers quite quite closely, but I haven't, I don't think I'm going to use the, the notification, uh, not the notifications, the... Um, the downtime stuff. I don't. I can't see myself using that. But um, I, I just want to confess some of my times just to give people an idea of what what has shown up. Um, this is my today, right? I, I use my phone for five hours and twenty four minutes. Oh, me too. Uh, five of, hours. Yeah. Of which, um, of which two hours thirty one were YouTube. And in truth, what that is is um, at midnight last night I fell asleep watching a YouTube video and it continued to play for about oh, two hours no. while I slept. <laughs> um, so something strange was coming into my ears when I, but what what, I, what I've noticed right it, it shows very clearly for me that um, my 
my interaction with the phone is virtually zero during the working day when I'm at school. And then it, it's, it's a wee bit in the morning and then it's big sort of uh, five, six, seven o'clock at night and then it tails off into the evening. So um, I, uh, today I did three pickups per hour. So I, for 67 total pickups, uh, picked up the phone once every 13 minutes. Now I think that's just an average. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a strict measurement. Um, I got 93 notifications, about four per hour. Uh, Gmail uh, was the largest one. It, it looks like a power law distribution. Email is by far the biggest one. Messages, the next one. And then everything else is like ones and twos and threes after that. Uh, Maps somehow gave me eight notifications today for some reason. Uh, calendar three, Slack three, Overcast three, and so on and so on and so on. So, I mean, <laughs> what this is telling me is I get a lot of email. But, you know, I kind of knew that already. So, uh, But it is interesting to see, I think, particularly the, the apps that get used. But uh, what it's telling me more than anything is, is that I use my phone for, like, uh, mail, YouTube, social networking, and podcasts. And that's about it. <laughs> hmm. um, Doesn't seem to count background time, though. That's an interesting thing. Um, like, time spent listening to podcasts while the phone is locked doesn't don't seem to count against it. Oh, interesting. I didn't notice that. Hmm. Yeah. But what, what does count against it is uh, using your phone for GPS navigation. So, uh, you know, a few days ago I was using Google Maps for a long journey and all my numbers were blown out because Google Maps had been on the screen for like three hours, you know. Um, so it, it doesn't discount the, the time that the phone is sort of obviously in one particular mode, such as navigating in, in maps. I kind of think that should be excluded. What's the family angle here uh, for family sharing? Yeah, so it hooks into the, the iTunes family sharing um, and you're able to set up, uh, you're able to turn on screen time on child devices in your family circle. Uh, my my two daughters who have iPhones, the, the problem I have with the whole family sharing with them is that their Apple IDs were made as uh, normal Apple IDs before we could make a child Apple ID because uh, they're old enough to have had Apple IDs for that long. So I can't actually treat them like children anymore and I can't convert their Apple IDs back into children's Apple IDs. So I don't really know how it works if, if you have a, a proper child. So effectively what I've got is four adults in my, fa uh, in my iTunes family uh, and... It seems to work okay. I can certainly see some of the stats on their phones, but I can't necessarily enforce it in the same way that I would uh, if it was a proper child. But you, when you go through the setup, what you can do is you can say, uh, um, you know, set up this other person's iPhone and set it up as a parent, and then you can actually impose downtime and screen time limits and content filters and so on. Um, but in, in our case, because the children are actually adult Apple IDs, they can disable the screen time passcode that you set for them. So the parent can set the passcode for the child, but um, it has to be an actual Apple child Apple ID in order for them not to be able to override it themselves. But it seems like a good idea, and you can even you can interrogate the stats as well. I mean, that's the only thing that I've kind of been interested in is just looking at what the kids are doing and. You know, in a, in a way, it, it confirms what I know, which is that, you know, they're watching YouTube quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that that's my tweetbot problem. Uh, it's YouTube yeah. for you. Um, and by the way, we, we got YouTube Premium this week in Italy. I think you guys in the UK, uh, too. Yeah, we, we got it, too. Yeah. Did you sign yeah. up? 
not yet. It's, it's right on the edge of, uh, do I really want to pay that much? Mm. But I, I'm just waiting for the summer holidays to start and I'm going to definitely hit that three-month free trial. Yeah. Um, because um, playing, I think the thing I really want is uh, just being able to play videos in the background. But I, I kind of think, I'm like, that should be free, right? That should be an app feature, you know? I know, um, I know. But, mm. you know, if only Apple let them do, like, um, the the ads in picture-in-picture, in picture, I think that's the hold-up, that um, yeah. they, they cannot show you the any custom interface in the picture-in-picture picture video player. So uh, yeah. they're basically forced to virtually prevent this system feature because everybody else mm. does it, right? Every video player basically these days has picture-in-picture. Picture. But they need to yeah. show you the app unless you're a paying user and the picture in picture ui cannot be customized with like links that you can tap for example yeah. so they they they're not gonna do background video anyway um yeah i'm i'm excited to to keep the screen time thing going on in the background and see like in a couple of months what kind of stats i can see i would love to have actually like uh, annual breakdowns of my habits mm. um uh, I don't know if Apple wants to do that, but I would love to have like an annual pie chart <laughs> that shows me um, yeah. how exactly I use my phone or my iPad. Um, so there's a one last topic that we need to cover uh, before we mention a bunch of other changes. And it's more like a mini rant uh, at this point. Okay. The new iPad gestures and the control center thing going on in iOS 12. Um so here's my uh, thoughts on this. Yeah, you're going to have to help me sort of understand how this is different. I haven't put it on, I haven't seen it on an iPad yet. So mm, okay. uh, there, there, are, there are some changes to interacting with the dock and the home screen. Yeah. All right. Yes. So there's definitely yep. some good stuff and a lot of bad stuff, in my opinion. So the basic idea is that Apple changed the iPad gestures to, be, um, to exactly match the iPhone X to have consistency with the iPhone okay. X. So, Control Center is gone from the multitasking view. You now have to swipe down from the top right um, corner of the display uh, to open Control Center as a sort of model floating thing in the top right. Okay. That's exactly what it looks like. It's a floating thing that just appears. Um, hmm. Then, a quick swipe from the bottom edge of the iPad goes instantly back to the home screen like the iPhone 10 and it's so sensitive like you just wipe and you go back to the home screen now if you want to open the dock you need to do a, a short swipe and hold and mm. it's kind of confusing to explain it's kind of confusing to use, especially if you've gotten accustomed to the iOS 11 way of prioritizing the dock. It's almost as yeah. if Apple is saying, no, no, actually, the dock is not your primary thing anymore. Now a quick swipe goes back to the home screen. And if you want to open the dock, it's more work because you need to swipe and hold. But there's two, and this is my main problem. It's so confusing mm. to remember how to open the dock, and how to open multitasking. So in okay. trying to match the, the iPhone X, Apple didn't consider that the iPhone X doesn't let you open the dock. It just has two modes, mm -hmm. home screen or multitasking, right? Yep. The iPad has three modes, home screen, dock, or multitasking. So there's two different swipe and hold 
There's a yeah. short swipe and hold, which is the dock. There's the slightly longer swipe and hold, which is multitasking. <laughs> now, personally, I think this is a mistake, especially given the all the um, changing habits that we went through with the dock and multitasking last year. Now yes. it's sort of <laughs> Apple saying, no, no, now it's the home screen is important again. Yeah. And I can sort of see what they're doing this if they have an iPad with Face ID coming and maybe doesn't have a home button. So they think that it'll be important for most people to go back to the home screen without a button. I can see what's going on. I think... I don't know if yeah. the animations, the the gesture uh, speed should be reworked. I don't know if it's if it should be maybe a user setting at this point, especially for pro users who really rely on the dock as a, as a multitasking UI uh, essentially, because it is what it is. It's the it's the not the only, but it's the the, the less bad way to bring up in yeah. apps into multitasking. Um, my main problem is that describing how opening the dock works is so confusing. I don't think most people will get it. Um, because really, differentiating between short swipe and hold and long swipe and hold is not easy. And it's not going to be easy for most people. It's not easy for pro users. I don't think... I, I, I think I, I kind of know how to use an iPad. And it's been two weeks. I still cannot reliably open the dock unless I'm using a keyboard. In that well, case, there's a keyboard shortcut. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's not your fault, right? Because when it comes to touchscreen interfaces, anything that is anything that's differentiated by duration or distance yeah. is unless it, unless it's an incredibly um, huge differentiation, right? So, for example, like going into uh, wiggle mode on on iOS devices, right? You've got to hold it for a long time before that mode engages, right? So it's easy not to make a mistake with that. There's any reasonable duration of tap, and then there's a very long hold, which gets you into that mode. Um, but then you're you're talking about the dock here is to do with getting the dock up is to do with speed and distance. But then there's three gradations of distance, right? Yeah. There's the multitasking distance, there's the dock distance, and there's the home screen distance. And um, you've you've got a gesture that's overloaded three ways with three different levels of of um, weight. And and that was exactly my criticism of the iOS 11 design when it came to icons in the home screen, because you had uh, tap to open, tap and hold to drag the icon as if you're putting it into multitasking. And then you had tap and hold for just a little bit longer. And then you went into rearrange mode on the iPad. And I think what you're seeing here, Federico, is just like the next bit of crumbling on the general weakness that is the iOS 11 user interface on the iPad, because these gestures and these these holds are, they're so overloaded with meaning that's differentiated in a completely invisible way to the user that it is indistinguishable from just being a very difficult interface to use. Um, and and this, this is something that goes back to like the very earliest days of iWork on iOS where they had some, they had some gestures where you had um, tap would do something, tap and hold would do mm -hmm. something else, mm -hmm. and then double tap would do another thing. And, and it, anything that you, where you say something and hold just makes it feel slow. Yeah. And uh, also, if you have different durations of hold, it makes it feel inaccurate as well. You can, you can quite often get it wrong. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is just, you're, you've absolutely put your finger on the, 
on the problem with iOS 11 and now iOS 12, you're seeing that they, they're not able to make these adaptations onto that original design because the design itself was only just coping with the complexity that it had in iOS 11. And now there's more complexity in iOS 12 and the design is not holding up to the amount of things it is having to be loaded with. And that is, yeah. that's starting to look like a problem to me. Yeah, and I think at this point, we, we really should see um, a rethought home screen. And that seems yeah. to be one of the big changes coming next year with iOS 13. It's a new home mm -hmm. screen because it's. I think it's so needed at this point. Um, you know, we, we have this structure that just isn't scaling anymore. And really my problem is not that I don't want to change with the times because I think of all the, the you no. know, friends that I know that have a, a job similar to mine, I'm always changing. I'm always trying new things. I'm okay with change. And it's not that I don't like the gestures of the iPhone X because I love those gestures. It's the fact that Apple is not recognizing the, again, it's a mistake they've done before, recognizing the differences between the iPhone and the iPad because these gestures are totally fine on the iPhone X because the iPhone X has two modes. The iPad as three modes and these gestures there's a the quick one and the long one and on the iphone that's totally okay but once you start doing short medium long on the ipad because that's what's going on with the home dock multitasking that just doesn't scale because our fingers are not so precise to be able to handle three different modes for distance and speed um and so that's my my problem really is not with the that things are changing and i'm an old person i don't want change it's not that it's not that apple is copying the iphone 10 either it's the sort of seeming seeming misunderstanding of the fact that the iPad is a different beast. And what concerns me, uh, because I'm concerned about this stuff, is that we've been down this road before. Um, and it took us years to sort of dig our way out of this hole uh, of saying, well, the iPad is actually different than the iPhone and maybe we should do yep. things differently. And now we're going down this road again. And it's like, have you not learned from your mistakes at all? <laughs> of, you don't need to necessarily no. <laughs> copy. This consistency at all costs is not good for users and it's not good for you long term. So... I wouldn't be surprised if they want to do this this year because they have this iPad with Face ID coming and they want to make sure that everybody knows how to use an iPad with no home button. But next year, we'll see another new design again. And I, I would be surprised if the new design next year still works like an iPhone X. Yeah, I mean, th this, is, this is consistency at the most superficial level possible, right? Which is that you can put on on the the marketing videos that play in the apple store behind the genius bar um here's how you get to the, the notification center and it's the same on your ipad as it is on your phone but that's that is exactly that's design as how something looks it's not design as how it works right which was the steve jobs quote from you know 20 years ago or something design is not what it looks like design is how it works that was what steve jobs said but this here what you're seeing now is this is literally just design being let's make it all look the same and it doesn't work the same you know because it's not consistent right the, I, the iphone has two modes the ipad has three modes for all of these things it's the same with it with the icons on the home screen in ios 11 ipad has three modes because it's got the, the two up multitasking interface mm -hmm. yeah. and and that that demands a completely different approach you know a much more sophisticated approach possibly a harder approach uh, with more features or or different completely original user interface elements that should be on the iPad that yes. aren't on the phone. Yes. And and if you, if you don't have that, if you're not prepared to bring some of that in, then um, you are really, 
you know, sort of condemning the iPad to be just a large iPhone in some ways. And that was, you know, that's all the thing that we sort of hoped that we had gotten away from a little bit. But, you know, it's back to, you know, let's have everything look the same on a marketing slide. Here's the here's the wonderfully consistent Apple product line and it all looks the same. And, you know, you get it from the same place in every screen, but that's, they need to be different, right? And, and Apple's all about, make, make you know, making a case for the Mac being different from the iPad but they're not prepared to make a case for the iPad being different from the phone. Yeah. And I think that is, you know, that that's a matter of, of some concern, I think. Yeah, so that's that's my my feelings on iPad gestures. And again, there's still time for things to improve. I remember last year, I was super upset about, well, not upset, but I was very vocal about some changes in Notification Center and cover sheet, and I complained for mm-hmm. like a month. And eventually in beta 4, which is relatively late in a beta process, people complained mm-hmm. so much that Apple reverted the design choice for cover sheet. So I'm... Um, hopeful that the more we complain about the stuff the more we file bugs and we you know we we talk in public about these features that we don't like um apple is listening um they they have they have people that really think a, a, a lot about this stuff um it's not like i'm saying that apple doesn't care about the ipad i'm saying that maybe decisions are made and there's there's a you know internally there are discussions uh and i know that there are people who think that you know maybe maybe th- some design choices choices would work better in another way but then somebody has to call the shots and w- what i hope is that they're not stuck on this idea of having to copy the iPhone 10 uh, because because we have to because marketing told us to do so. Mm. Um, so and I know that there's people who are fighting fighting for for different implementations. So hopefully this will happen. Um, I don't know. Again, I don't know if maybe having a, a different way to activate these gestures, having a setting. I don't know. But there's still there's still time. I think. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, we, we can hope. Yeah. Um, do you have other things to cover quickly before we wrap up the show? Um, I, I suppose there's a couple of wee bits and pieces, Federico, but I think the other thing we, we could maybe have a, a quick chat about is is Project Marzipan, you know, the idea Ooh. of mm. iOS apps going onto the Mac. And I suppose here here's my kind of million-dollar question for you is, what is the future of the big iPad Pro in a world where a 12-inch MacBook can run all my favorite iOS apps? Hmm. It's, uh, it is a million-dollar question. Um, yeah. Well, I think, first of all, it's there's two things that, at least for me, differentiate the iPad right now. In an ideal future where the Mac has the same apps as my iPad, my iPad is still a screen that I can detach from a keyboard, and it's got a cellular connection. So those two features are absolute must-haves for me. Um, the fact that, that it can become a laptop if I want to, or it can just be a screen that I hold in my hands. So that's a big one. And the other is I want to be able to work from anywhere with a SIM card inside my iPad. So it depends on whether... I could see a future where the laptop is a convertible and the MacBook is actually an iPad attached to a keyboard. I don't, I don't know if Apple wants to have that kind of future, um, but if that future were so, if the lines became so blurry between the product lines, would it even matter 
if I used an iPad or a Mac. Um, at that point, yeah. if the software is the same and if the form factor is a hybrid one, what's the difference really? Um, so I think that Apple will, will still want to have some differences between the two. And I can see how, for example, the Mac may still have AppKit as a sort of a pro UI framework for pro apps that you can only get on the Mac. And I can see how the iPad will still be the only device with a, with a touchscreen and with a screen that can be detached from the keyboard and with the Apple Pencil. Um, ideally, it should just be one device. I would love to have one device that can be anything that I want, but that's the Microsoft approach. And I don't know if, if Apple wants to do that. Instead, it seems to me like they want to make sure that the baseline of options that you get from the app store are the same so you can still you, you most people get the same apps on ios and on mac os but then if you want some specific um apps you go to the ipad stuff like artistic creation you get the apple pencil with some ipad apps and if you want pro stuff you gotta use a mac so if you want to do video editing or audio editing or more complex you know graphic editing you gotta use a macbook um, so that that's my that's my uh, idea on what is going on right now. Interesting. I, I think it's it's a tricky sell, though. I think, isn't it? Because you're you're sort of asking somebody to walk into an Apple store and on on their first day of ownership decide what their future path is going to be and, and yeah. hope that they don't diverge too far from one in either direction. You know, and and I suppose with a pessimistic hat on, what I would say is, you know, I'm looking at that going. Why would I get this iPad, which has got some great things, but um, not everything, whereas the Mac would be the I can have everything kind of answer as long as I don't want an Apple Pencil or, you know, maybe there's a Mac that comes with a SIM card in the future. I don't know. But I think that in some ways when you bring it's kind of like, you know, when, when we had boot camp and then we had virtualization and things like that for Windows on the Mac the Mac became the safe choice to buy because it could do everything, um, the Mac software and the Windows software. And, and it will maybe in the future that you end up with the Mac that can do the Mac and the iOS software. Uh, but then you get the iPad that, okay, you get the form factor, but then you don't get, you know, Chrome, if you need the Chrome browser or Photoshop or whatever. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think it's just, there's no way to know which way that's going to go right now, I don't think. But it's just it's just a sort of point of speculation at this at this stage. Yeah, um, again, I I remain convinced that the that the iPad as as I know it today is the perfect device for me um, mm -hmm. because I I really years ago I bought into the idea of a screen that can transform into multiple things and that can be used anywhere. So that's still true, and I think it will be true for at least a couple of years. But then, if we get MacBooks with SIM cards and iPads with keyboards that can all, with trackpads, uh, I don't know, anything could be possible. Yeah. But today, uh, I still see differences between them. Even if the Mac gets Marzipan apps, there, I still see the differences between the two. Um, but yeah, I, 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 it depends on whether the future is a clear, clearly separated product line or... <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I mean, I think I think Jason Snell put it well when he said, you know, the the, the separate product lines, it, it's Apple strategy until it's not Apple strategy, and yeah. one day they could yeah. they they could just blow it out the water and say, oh, here here's here's the device that does everything. Go buy, you know, and we'll, we'll put our iPads and we'll put our MacBooks on eBay and we'll all go and buy this new hybrid thing that runs everything. Yeah, I don't know if that happens, we'll we will adapt. 
again. So, we will. We will. Yeah. Great. Well, Federico, shall we wrap it up there? I think there's a, that's definitely the majority of, of Canvas-ish topics from WWDC, I would say. I think so, yeah. Okay. So this has been Canvas episode 64, I think. Sorry, 63. Uh, our first impressions of iOS 12. You can get the show notes for this show at relay.fm slash canvas slash 63. You can connect with the show on Twitter at underscore canvasfm. I'm Fraser Spears on Twitter, Federico is Vitici, and we'll see you next show. There we go.